We have heard a lot in our study of Peter's letter about suffering. And suffering is really something I think that uh, we would prefer just to avoid. Isn't that uh, just about the way it is for most of us? Uh, but Peter is writing to Christians who have begun to experience various forms of suffering uh, that are resulting directly from their faith and their following of Jesus Christ. Uh, because their lives were different, because their beliefs had uh, suddenly become out of step with the general population uh, they were experiencing uh, persecution, suffering. He refers to Christians uh, as exiles in chapter 1, and we, we talked about that, how as believers there is this sense in all of us that we just no longer quite fit in the way we once did. Uh, and of course these early Christians were beginning to experience that. Later on in that chapter, he urges his brothers and sisters to persevere in their sufferings just as, as Jesus did. Again, you know, saying to them that uh, sufferings will come, uh, and yet you have strength. The grace of God will give you strength. Uh, Jesus persevered in his sufferings. We are to do the same. In chapter 3, we are encouraged not to seek vengeance against those who, who cause us to suffer. There is evil in the world and there are people who do evil and there are those who hate the gospel and they hate the word of God, these ancient words that we cherish as we have said this morning. Um, and they seek to, to, to hurt, uh, but we're not to take vengeance upon them, but rather we're to leave them to the Lord uh, and to bless them. That's uh, again something very difficult for us, to bless those who cause us to suffer uh, to seek their good, to share the faith with them, right? Peter says, always be ready to give a, an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And, and in doing these things, we, we honor the Lord. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, we are again reminded uh, that just as Jesus suffered, uh, just as certainly as Jesus suffered, that we too will suffer. Uh, but just as certainly as Jesus rose victorious uh, over his sufferings, uh, so will we uh, as well. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning, we're still in, in, in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. We're going to begin in just a moment in verse 12. We'll, we'll read down through the end of the chapter together. But in this passage, Peter is going to return one last time to this issue of suffering. And <clears throat> I've said over the years, when we see repetition in the Bible, uh, it is there for emphasis sake. Uh, no doubt Peter wrote repeatedly of suffering and seeking to comfort his brothers and sisters in Christ in their suffering because of his pastoral heart for them. He, he wanted them to know that, that God was with them, that he identified with them in their suffering. And so no doubt his, his pastoral heart uh, brings him back to this issue time and again as he, as he considers uh, the experience of those that he knew were going through difficult days. And so I want you to, to we're just going to look at one word here for a moment before we get into the text, uh, how he addresses his audience there in verse 12. He, he writes to them as, as the beloved, the beloved. Uh, again, uh, some translations have that uh, Greek word translated as dear friends. And, and certainly these were dear friends to Peter uh, but boy, I, I just believe that word beloved does much better. Uh, because not only were these people loved by Peter, 
I mean, he was certainly demonstrating his love for them as he, as he shepherded them as an apostle uh, in those early days of the, of the church. Uh, but, but what these words speak of more than anything else uh, is God's love for his people. God's love and care for his suffering children. I, I just want to say to you this morning that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are one of the beloved of God. Okay? God loves you. And I know that's something that we say so often. We speak of the love of God. We might even be willing to say those words that I just said, God loves you. We point to others. God loves you. We, we want to share the love of God with others. But I want you to know this morning, I, I want to be reminded myself that, that we are the beloved of God. You know, there's lots of people in the world that don't feel that they are loved by, by many or perhaps any. They feel alone. Uh, outcasts, forsaken, ostracized. Uh, let me tell you, God loves you this morning. Uh, and especially for those who are in Christ, members of the household of God. We are God's beloved children. And so as we face suffering, we need to understand that. We face suffering as God's beloved which means we face suffering according to his will and under his careful watch. Uh, wonderful words of comfort for us this morning. We could, we could spend the rest of the day just talking about this one word, beloved, and what that means, the implications it has for our lives. But I do want us to move on. I just wanted to, I just wanted to start this morning with that. If, if nothing else today, leave here knowing that as a Christian, you are loved by God. Loved by God. In the rest of these verses down through the end of the chapter, Peter shares some practical insight for us. And I've entitled the message this morning, Suffering Successfully in the Wild. If we're going to suffer, and we are, right? Then let's determine to suffer successfully. And we'll talk about what that means as we, as we move ahead. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. He writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Bless those who cause us suffering. Now he's saying rejoice when suffering happens to us. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed, a reference to his, his second coming. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers for, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he cites the Old Testament again. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage today. Father, again, we want to thank you for these ancient words. Thank you, Father, for preserving these words for us. And as we were encouraged a moment ago, help us to understand that this word has now been entrusted to our care. 
you have commanded your church to preserve these words, to, to, to fight for them, Lord. Uh, to do whatever we must do to ensure that this scripture uh, is, is handed down to the next generation and the generation after that. Help us, Father, to contend earnestly for the faith that has been once and for all delivered to us saints. Lord, help us to understand what a, uh, what a great, uh, significant, profound work you have entrusted to us in that. Uh, and then, Lord, as will inevitably happen as we suffer uh, contending for the faith, Lord, remind us of how we should view that suffering and Lord, that you are with us in the midst of it uh, and that we should glorify you in everything that we do. So, so Father, just help us today to, uh, to leave here uh, determined uh, to suffer and to suffer well uh, for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Uh, by this time in Peter's letter, uh, the suffering had already begun. It was a reality. Uh, and I am quite confident that for most of you in this room, there have been times in your own life when you have suffered for the cause of, of Christ, at least in some form or fashion. Again, we've said over the weeks that we as American Christians have had the benefit of, of our faith being considered somewhat mainstream throughout the life of our, our nation. And so much of the suffering that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world have to endure every day, the fiery trials that we can't even really imagine being a part of our own experience, uh, we've kind of been spared some of that. But nonetheless, we need to be prepared. We need to understand some things about suffering and how to suffer well or suffer successfully as the, as the title of the message this morning. And one of the things that is absolutely essential is to have a proper perspective of suffering. All right, Your perspective on suffering will make a huge difference in the way that you are able to persevere through suffering, the way that you are able to endure uh, the fiery trials that will no doubt come upon you. Notice, Peter doesn't say if a fiery trial comes, but it's coming. When it comes, uh, don't be surprised. Don't think that something strange were happening to you. Again, as American Christians, we also live in a land that is inundated with what we might call the health and wealth or the prosperity gospel. And much of that preaching uh, simply would make this claim that if you are a Christian, you should not have troubles. Uh, you should not experience suffering and hardship and difficulty. As a matter of fact, you should all be wealthy uh, because that's what your father, the king, has for you. And you should not experience sickness. You should be completely healthy. Uh, that's your birthright in Christ. And let me tell you, the scripture tells us exactly the opposite, doesn't it? We're going to suffer in this world. But the way we think about suffering will make a huge Difference. And of course, as I mentioned a moment ago, as human beings, our natural tendency is to avoid suffering at all costs. We reject it. Uh, we want blessings from God. We want good things from God. We want God's comfort and, 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 and God's strength and God's grace. But when it comes time for sacrifice and suffering, uh, as, as Malcolm Ellis has said from this pulpit, we kind of become cafeteria Christians. Yeah, we want this and that and the other, but I'll pass on these other things. 
Suffering and sacrifice are just not on the menu for me in this time. But the Bible teaches us that as Christians, we should expect to suffer. Uh, again, totally contrary to much preaching these days. We should expect to suffer. And, and again, what Peter's point is in all of this is that we should expect to suffer for following Jesus, for doing good, for doing what we ought to do. Uh, again, he's even going to say here a little bit later that we shouldn't be suffering for doing evil things. We shouldn't be murderers or thieves or, or meddlers in other people's business. But, but we're going to suffer. Our fiery trial is going to come. But it shouldn't come for those reasons. It should come because we've decided to follow Jesus. Uh, when you decide to follow Jesus, you're going to, you're going to suffer. Peter says specifically that we should not view suffering as something to be rejected, as foreign to our Christian experience. It shouldn't cause us to think that, that maybe we're not doing things the way we should do things. Now again, anytime we suffer, we ought to step back and think about why we're suffering. Have I brought this on myself? Have I done something that has brought this suffering? Or is this just the will of God for my life? I'm living for the Lord as I should, and I'm suffering the consequences of that. All suffering should cause us to kind of evaluate our current situation, but it should never just be rejected. Uh, again, Rather, it should be expected. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's just that clear cut and that simple. So again, to have a proper perspective on suffering, suffering should never be considered something abnormal, out of the way, uh, strange, foreign to our Christian experience. We ought to expect it and we ought to know uh, that... Uh, this is what comes to those who follow Jesus. And all we have to do to understand that is to look at the life of Jesus himself. He was the one that said to us, look, the world hated me. It's going to hate you. So we can expect suffering. We should think of suffering in those terms. And, and so again, rather than rejecting the suffering that comes our way, again, the scripture says we are to rejoice in it. Rejoice in fiery trials that come upon us to test us. Rejoice, he says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Here's something to keep in mind when you go through periods of suffering for the cause of Christ. That you are suffering just as Christ suffered. Again, when we think of our suffering and Christ's suffering, again, I know it doesn't compare, and we certainly don't suffer to the point of making any kind of atonement for anyone else's sin as Jesus did. But when we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ because of our identification and our determination to walk in obedience to Him, when we suffer for that name, we are, as he says right there, uh, we're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually prayed that he would share in Christ's sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, he said in Philippians 3.10. I don't imagine that any of us in our prayer time this week, anybody pray, Lord, I'd like to share in Christ's sufferings this week. We don't pray, pray, pray prayers like that because we don't have a proper perspective of suffering. We think of suffering as something to be avoided, even suffering for the name of Christ. Paul, however, knew differently. And that prompted him to pray. I want to 
I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. I want to, I want to fellowship with Christ and his sufferings. I want the sufferings of Christ to be a part of my experience, even if it means becoming like him in his death. We should rejoice in sufferings. Peter, of course, the writer of this letter and his fellow apostles were arrested in the early days of their ministry. The scripture says in Acts chapter 5 that they were beaten. They were charged by the council to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And then after all of that, they were released And Acts 5.41 says this, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is a proper perspective of Christian suffering. Rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Do you think they took heed of the council's charge to no longer preach in the name of Jesus? Oh, no. They continued to preach in the name of Jesus. And every one of them, with the exception of John, ultimately gave his life, became a martyr for the cause of Christ. Are we worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus? And when we do, will we rejoice in it? If we have a proper perspective of suffering, we will. Suffering, again, comes to God's beloved according to his will, and under his careful watch. The way we think of suffering will make all the difference in the world as to how we endure or persevere in the midst of it. Something else to be remembered when suffering comes is is our position uh, in this suffering. And what I mean by that is who we are, and really even more than who we are, whose we are. Uh, It's essential in times of suffering, if we're going to suffer well, that we know who we are, that we know who we belong to. Peter writes this, again, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And he says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, who do you think that applies to? That applies to Christians, right? Peter wouldn't have made that statement about some lost individual. He makes that statement about his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who we are. We are those upon whom and within whom the Spirit of glory and God rest. You know when you became a Christian that the Spirit of God came to indwell you, came to live within you? When we go through suffering, one of the things that will, uh, well, that will be revealed when anyone goes through suffering... uh, Who you are will be revealed. Uh, If you suffer well, if you glorify God through the suffering, if you're able to bless those who who persecute you and pray for them and share the gospel with them, again, you give evidence of one upon whom the spirit of glory and of God rests. These words speak of our position in Christ. We are his redeemed ones, bought by the precious blood of God. Of the Lamb. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. Really, it's not Isaiah, it's God who declares. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Those are words that God speaks 
to his children who are enduring the fiery trial. Again, walking through the waters that overwhelm us, the the fire that wants to destroy us. And again, this promise of Isaiah was fulfilled almost word for word in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The Hebrew children that were thrown into the fiery furnace. When the king looked in, hoping to see those boys burning alive, what did he see? He saw a fourth guy, one like the Son of Man, Jesus, I believe, with the Hebrew children, his Hebrew children. And the Bible says that those three Hebrew boys, and you know, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, I like their Hebrew names better. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those boys came out of that furnace. Not a hair on their head was singed, the Bible says. Their clothes were not burnt in any little bit. The Bible even goes so far as to say that they didn't even smell like smoke. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon those who suffer for the name of God. Of Christ. We suffer, yes, but we suffer as God's children. Again, according to His will, under His watch, we suffer as the beloved of God. We suffer as those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We're God's own possession. We're the apple of His eye, the Bible says. He is with us in our suffering, He sustains us and He brings us through. Again, the fiery trials without even the smell of smoke on our garments. Of course, there are times when we suffer not because we are redeemed of the Lord, but because we are in rebellion to the Lord. That's what verse 15 talks about. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. It's unusual there, isn't it? Thievery, murder, evil doing, And then he says, or as a meddler. We, we, I think we would all probably think that meddling is, is something far less than murder or, or thievery or evil doing. We, we might not even consider meddling as, as evil, but let me tell you, the Bible considers it evil. That word speaks of really engaging in something that's none of your business. Church, I know we don't have many murderers in here today, probably not many thieves, probably not many that would consider themselves evildoers, but you meddle in other people's business? Don't do that. It'll, it'll, it'll bring suffering to your life. And you can't say in that instance that I'm suffering for the name of Jesus. No, you're suffering because you stuck your nose in somebody else's business. And we'll suffer for that. Peter says, don't. Don't do that. We're challenged to live righteously so that our suffering is never for our own evil, wicked behavior. But again, always for the name of Christ Always for the blessing that comes to us because the spirit of glory and God rests upon us. So remember in times of suffering who you are and who God is and that you belong to him because Christ has bought you with his own blood. We also need to remember in times of suffering that there is a purpose to it. You know, we, we say things like that, right? Well, you know, God has a purpose for everything. You know, you know when we typically say that? When somebody else is going through a hard time. When somebody else is suffering. But when I'm suffering, sometimes it's hard for me to remember that. 
Those words are true, but you know what? They're probably not the best or the most comforting words that you can speak to somebody who's going through a really hard time. Oh, brother, the Lord has a purpose for this. You ought to remind yourself of that when you go through suffering. Suffering is never random for the Christian. It's never pointless. Again, we suffer according to the will of God under the watchful care of God. Never without purpose. There are a couple of purposes, I believe, that Peter points to here. He says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I mean, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? And the sinner. The first purpose I believe that we need to be reminded of in suffering is that we are to suffer for the glory of God. As, as Christians, everything we do, we're to do for the glory of God, right? No matter what it is, whether we eat, whether we drink, no matter what we do, we're to do everything to the glory of God. Everything that we do in our life, including the way that we suffer, the way that we handle suffering has an impact upon the reputation of God in this world. People are watching you. And if you claim to be a Christian and then you go through a hardship and that hardship just destroys you like it would anybody else, the question that's going to be on people's minds is, well, where's, where's that God of yours? We should suffer in such a way that God's reputation is strengthened. Uh, again, never being ashamed for living for Jesus, never being ashamed of being identified with Christ. You know that the, the word Christian has, has just become the, the label for those that, that trust in and follow Jesus, right? We have become known as Christians. And in our day and time, uh, if somebody calls us a Christian or if we say of ourselves, I'm a Christian, uh, there's you know, that, nothing about that that would bother us or insult us. But, but this word, Christian, was not a word that was originally coined by the early church. This word was coined by pagans. Uh, they called the followers of Christ Christians, and, and it was really a derisive term. They, they meant it to be insulting. Uh, you could literally translate that word Christian as little Christs. Uh, oh, there's the, there's the little Christs. That's what they were saying. It was, a, it was an insult. Again, it, it, was, it was said to provoke shame. There, there's those little Christs following that, 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 that dead Savior. That was the way that it was intended. Of course, we, we have embraced it now, and we should. Uh, if we suffer as a Christian, Peter says, we should glorify God in that name. We should not be ashamed. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've experienced shame for identifying yourself with Christ or being a Christian? I'd like to say that that's true for my life, but I remember a time years ago when I was coming back from a hospital visit and there was an accident, happened right in front of me on, on LBJ. And a young man who was driving a step van was thrown from his vehicle, still strapped into the driver's seat. Landed on the highway, bounced who knows how far down the road. Cars began to stop. People began to run to his assistance. I was one of those that stopped. 
and somebody had brought a towel and another person had a blanket and his head was bleeding and people were trying to comfort him and stop the bleeding and others were calling 911 on their, their cell phones. And as I, as I stood there, I thought, okay, what, what can I do? What can I do? And I thought, I need to pray. And the minute that thought went through my mind, this overwhelming sense of shame. What will everybody think if I kneel here and begin to pray? But I knelt and began to pray. And when I said amen and looked up, everybody in that group had bowed their heads and had prayed along with me. Never be ashamed of Christ or of your walk with Christ. Uh, we're all tempted to be shamed by that name. You little, little Christ, you little follower of Jesus, you little goody two-shoes. Don't be ashamed of the name Christian. But live for Jesus. Be delighted when you are identified with Christ. When we suffer because of our commitment to Christ, we're blessed. And we should praise God for it. Let him, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Hear that word glorify. Glorify God means to praise God. We should praise God for the opportunities to identify with Jesus. I should, I should have been praising God for the opportunity to be the one at the scene of this accident that was going to pray, that was going to call upon, the one who could really do something for this kid. I should have been praising God for the opportunity to pray there right in the middle of 635 on a busy Tuesday afternoon. Don't be ashamed, but glorify God. God's reputation is tied up in everything we do as Christians, especially in the way that we suffer and especially in the way that we identify with Christ, the name Christian. And then, of course, the other purpose for suffering, and these, this isn't an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, um, but, but one purpose that Peter, I believe, alludes to here is the restoration of the godly. Not only is God's reputation wrapped up in everything that we do, but as we suffer for Christ, there is a restorative ministry that takes place in our own lives. I believe that's what he means when he says it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. These are words, again, that were taken from an Old Testament context of the Babylonian invasion of Israel uh, when they, they actually went into the temple uh, and took the priests out of the, the temple. And of course, I've already mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, others who were carried away into captivity where they, they, they remained for 70 years as God did a purification. He was, he was purifying his people during that time. Uh, I think we tend to think of, of suffering in that way as punishment. God was punishing his people. Oh no, the Bible doesn't even speak in those terms. He, he came to purify his people. When the Jews returned from Babylonian captivity, things had changed. And when suffering comes into our life, God is at work in us, restoring us, improving us, making us more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.17 teaches this. Paul said, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So when God is at work in our lives through suffering, again, according to his will, under his watch, he's doing a work in us. He's molding us ever more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
purifying us, making us a more holy, a more godly people. So in the midst of suffering, remember, God's at work in you. God's at work. He's doing a good thing. He's bringing glory to his name through our suffering. And then the last thing that I would point you to, whenever you're in the midst of suffering, remember again, you're not alone. You have a protector. We have protection when we suffer. Jesus promised, right, never to leave us nor forsake us. Remember that? The Bible tells us that there is nothing in this world, matter of fact, there is nothing in heaven or hell or anywhere that can separate us from God's love and care. Nothing. We're protected. Peter writes this. He says in verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the only place in the New Testament that refers to Jesus as a faithful creator. It's the only place this word is used of, of God in the New Testament. When we are suffering according to God's will, and again, very important there, that's, that's the qualification, suffering according to God's will, what should we do? Well, we should entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So there are two things that we need to remember in the midst of suffering, again, that have to do with our protection, our perseverance. First of all, we have a faithful creator on our side. A reliable ally. Let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Uh, in Psalm 31, verse 5, David cries to the Lord from his place of suffering. Remember, there were years when David was on the run. He was a fugitive. He was running from King Saul. He knew that if he was ever apprehended, more than likely he would die. He would be killed. Uh, he lived for years as an exile, an outcast, even though he were a man after God's own heart, even though he, were the, he was the, the anointed king of Israel. And this is his cry from his place of suffering. He says to God, into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Now when we hear words like that, into your hands I commit my spirit, what do we think of? We think of Jesus' cry from the cross. Let me tell you, David said that centuries before Jesus cited David's psalm from the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me. Again, David acknowledging his position as, as one of God's own. And then acknowledging God as Lord and faithful. When we go through suffering, that's what we need to do. We need to remember our God, our faithful creator. We need to trust him in that moment. Again, Jesus uttered these same words to God as he suffered on the cross. We can't even begin to imagine the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. But he knew, as God's son, that he suffered according to God's will and under God's careful watch. He knew that his father was there. He knew that God heard his prayer. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what we need to say when we're in the midst of suffering. God, we trust you. God, I, I, I'm, I'm not feeling what I would like to feel. I'm not sensing what I would like to sense. But I know you're here because you've promised you would never leave me. You've promised that you would always be with me. you promised that when I looked for help, I would find it in you always. And we do. He is a faithful 
Creator, no matter what suffering we may be called to endure for the name of Jesus, God is utterly faithful. And then then this idea of Creator, anytime we see that word Creator, we ought to think of the power of creation. Not only do we have a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine, not only do we have a God who is infinitely able, this God is powerful beyond all earthly ability for us to even understand. There is nothing too difficult for God. Whatever you're going through, you may have reached the end of your resources. Let me tell you, God never reaches the end of His. This is the God who spoke the world into existence. This is the God who flung the stars into space and knows them, each one by name. This is the God who who counts the hairs on your head. This is the God who has your name written on his palm. This is the God who loves you and 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 is more powerful than anything we can imagine. What a resource, what an ally we have when we go through suffering. What a faithful protector. As Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or even imagine. Church, when we go through suffering, just remember who's with you. Pray. Call upon the one for whom nothing is too difficult. Call upon the one that knows everything about your situation, that cares more about you and your situation than anybody else. Call upon that one. Trust him. Commit your soul to your faithful creator. And then, of course, he finishes with these words, while doing good. Almost seems a little anticlimactical here. One of the greatest protections we have in the midst of suffering is is just doing the right thing, continuing to do the right thing. Sometimes what we do is we allow suffering to give us an excuse for not doing the right thing. We stop doing the things that we should do because we're going through such a hard time. Peter says, don't do that. Entrust yourself to to God. Entrust yourself to this faithful, powerful, loving creator. Entrust yourself to him, but keep doing the right thing. Keep doing good. Keep doing the very things. This is what Peter's saying. Keep doing the very things that brought the suffering upon you. Because you're doing it for the name of Christ. You're bringing glory to God. Continue to do the good works that God has prepared you to do, even in the midst of suffering. We should eagerly say along with Job. What did Job say in Job 13, 15, after he had gone through suffering that we can't even imagine? He'd lost everything that he owned. His children had died. His wife had looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? And what did Job say? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Church, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know the depth of your suffering. But I do know this. You have a faithful creator who is with you and who will sustain you. And you can say along with Job, no matter what, no matter what he does, no matter what he brings into my life, my hope will be in him.